We've been in our series in Romans, and uh, we're hitting the pause button here as we're in the Christmas season. Uh, we're going to pick up Romans again in, in January. Susan Garlinger last week wrapped up Romans chapter 4, and I don't know about you, but as I listened to her talk, I began wondering what was the word that she said in her kitchen. If you were here last week uh, and you heard her illustration, how she confessed that this, this cuss word came out. What was the word that she said? And being, you know, kind of new back on staff as his lead pastor, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, I want you to know that Susan still has her job. But I started thinking about, you know, her love for the Cincinnati Reds and her, her using a credit card to go see Pete Rose break a Ty Cobb's record, which didn't happen the, the week that she did that. Uh, my guess is that she probably said something like, knowing Susan, something like, ah, for Pete's sake. And her... her <laughs> Her love for Pete Rose, she thought she was violating some sort of standard there. I'm sure that's what it was, uh, so we can all relax. Uh, <laughs> but Susan did a great job of just leveling the playing field for us. You know, as we, as we understand that we're recipients of righteousness, that we can't go out and earn it. We can't earn it through works or through certain ceremonies or through keeping the law, which was the point of her sharing that story, that even as, as all we do all these good things, it, it still comes out of us at times. We still fall short. And it's by faith in Christ that we're counted as righteous. And Susan did such a great job of wrapping up Romans chapter 4 for us last week. We will pick up Romans in January. And by the way, December 31st and January 1st, uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll, we'll be uh, that weekend. If you've got questions about Romans chapters 1 through 4. Uh, we're going to take a small time in our service just to let you ask some of those questions, and we'll try and, uh, and handle those live here through, uh, through texting. Uh, if you've got questions in our study so far, I encourage you to be thinking about those and come on that weekend, and you can ask those uh, as we then launch into the week after that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little about the foreshadowing, what the next section of Romans is about, and then we'll jump back into this Bible study series on Romans. But we're hitting the pause button on that, and we're going into a new series in these, in these weeks around Christmas called The Songs of Christmas, uh, looking at, at um, the, the, the songs that surround the Christmas event. And by the way, I can't think of any other event in world history that has prompted or inspired more music than Christmas. Um, Christmas has just, just, we all have our favorite songs uh, at Christmas. You have a song that you want to hear at Christmas, a particular artist that you want to hear sing it, or, 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 or music, a music, uh, uh, instrumental music you want to listen to as well. I grew up in a family, my dad uh, played horns, he played French horn, and so at Christmas time he played a lot of instrumental like brass music. And when I hear brass music at Christmas time, it just sort of takes me back and my heart is warmed and uh, I, I love to hear brass music at Christmas. I don't typically listen to it the rest of the year, um, but at Christmas time, that's the music I want to hear. It makes it, makes it feel like home. Um, I texted my kids this week and asked them, what, uh, what music do you want to hear at Christmas time? What, what songs do you want to hear that sort of make it feel like Christmas? And man, they shot back responses and they all said the same thing. Two artists, Kenny G, Amy Grant. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, they don't listen to Amy Grant nor do they listen to Kenny G the rest of the year. But at Christmas time, they want to hear a little bit of that because it makes it feel like Christmas. And you've got your songs as well. You've got the songs that you want to hear, uh, the instrumental music you want to hear that just make it feel like Christmas. It could be something from Handel's Messiah, or it could be Grandmother Got Run Over by a Reindeer, or it could be the dogs that bark jingle bells. There's some sort of music that you want to hear at Christmas time because it's just classic for you. And it takes you, it takes you back. 
Uh, we're looking at a song today, the first song inspired by, uh, by Christmas. Uh, and it's found in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and uh, it's called Mary's Song, or it's sometimes referred to as the Magnificat. Uh, it's, it's a Latin word, it comes to the word magnify, because Mary, when she's in, this, in her story and she's processing this idea that she's going to be pregnant as a virgin, uh, she bursts into this song, my soul praises the Lord, or in one version it says, my soul magnifies the Lord, uh, the Magnificat. Now get this, E. Stanley Jones says that the Magnificat, Mary's song, is the most revolutionary document in the world. Now, you hear that or look at that and you go, man, is that kind of stretching the truth? Is that an exaggeration, some hyperbole? The most revolutionary document in the world? Are you, are you sure? Well, check this out. 1980s, the, the government of Guatemala passed a law outlawing the public reading of Mary's song, the Magnificat. They outlawed it because they believed that the words and the ideas and the concepts to Mary's song were too politically subversive, that if they were read out loud, that the people in Guatemala would hear it and they'd want to revolt. This revolutionary song. Imagine talking to Mary. She's probably 14, 15 years old when she bursts out into this song. Imagine someone saying to her, you know that song you, you, you just sang? Um, 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a country that's just going to outlaw your song because it's just too disturbing. It's filled with too much revolutionary kind of talk. My guess is that she would be like, really? Are you kidding me? No, it, it's true. The most revolutionary document, the most revolutionary prayer, poem, song that's ever been written. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read it. Uh, Luke chapter 1, open your Bibles there, and if you would stand, I want to read just the, the song portion of this text. Laura's been reading us through this story this morning, uh, along with the choir singing through it with us, and I want to pick it up in verse uh, 46, uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat, uh, her song of praise. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Uh, many of you know very well Josh and Becca Mann. Josh and, uh, and Beck served here, lived here for many years. Uh, Josh on staff for uh, seven years, and they left in September, actually early October, to uh, uh, Josh came lead pastor of Fox Island Church in Gig Harbor, and uh, Josh and Beck are doing really, really well. I talked to them this week on the phone, and uh, uh, miss you and appreciate you. And, uh, but many of you know their story when it comes to wanting to start a family. 
Um, several years into their, into their marriage, they, they wanted to have kids. And so they were expectantly wanting to, to have a child come. And so uh, they were really looking forward, anticipating the moment when Becca would be pregnant. And so uh, each month, uh, they, they awaited that celebration, potential celebration, and it, it didn't come for them. In fact, it, 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 led, in, it led them in a, in a season of infertility where uh, they just they couldn't have kids. And I was talking to Becca this week, and, and she said that, you know, in those early months, uh, they were just very watchful and alert and, uh, and hoping that it would happen and that they'd be pregnant and expecting to have their, their first child. Yet when they weren't, uh, this wasn't happening for them, they weren't uh, getting pregnant, uh, it led them into another season, a season of fear, of, of being afraid, scared, that this, this would never happen. Some of you have been on that journey. Uh, some of you are on that journey. You know exactly uh, what this is like. And, and in that season of being uh, scared and, and fearful that it would, that would never happen, uh, they started noticing people who got pregnant easily, uh, they took notice of people who uh, accidentally got pregnant um, and noticed people who weren't even married who were pregnant, uh, which led them to another season of just complete exhaustion. It, this idea of starting a family consumed them, and they began to wonder, will we ever have kids? Now, about three years into that journey, uh, you, you, those of you who know Josh and, and Bex know they adopted Mercy from Ethiopia. And Mercy has brought them so much joy and so much fulfillment, uh, and they're thrilled to have Mercy. What you probably don't know is that when they were saying their goodbyes to us, they discovered that Becca was pregnant. And, uh, and they go up to Fox Island, and now she's expecting, and uh, uh, this weekend she's 17 weeks along. Uh, yet years of wondering... Is it ever going to happen? Are we ever going to have kids? I mean, are we, are we ever going to have this, this, this family that we, that we hope? We're going to have this, this child that we can call our own. And I want to, to tell you today that, that your story like that, if that's a story you've lived, and Josh and Becca's story is a story that Israel has been living. Because they have been told for hundreds of years, well over a thousand years, that they're going to be expecting, that there is a Messiah that is coming. There's a baby coming, and, and they've been hearing about it for a long time. And as history progresses, then you've got these foreign countries coming in and dominating them and oppressing them, and they're crying out, and, and they're hoping for this baby. When are we ever going to be pregnant? When are we going to conceive and have the Messiah show up? Because people have been talking about this for so long, but will it ever happen? Jacob, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 49, he's blessing his 12 sons. And he gets to his son Judah, and he says these words. Judah the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from uh, his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. The one, the one whom all nations will honor. And we understand this to be a prophecy of a ruler from the tribe of Judah that will come, the Messiah. And this was spoken, this was prayed over, uh, Jacob prayed this over his son, Judah, 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. 
1,400 years before a baby in a manger, they've been talking, there's a baby coming, it will come from the tribe of Judah. Micah in chapter 5, uh, he, he is, he's writing during a, a dark time, 700 years have passed since Jacob's prayer over his son Judah, this blessing. And now Micah says these words as an army is approaching, mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. There it is again, from the tribe of Judah. And now this nowhere place that you probably can't even find on a map called Bethlehem. 725 years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Micah is saying, you're going to be pregnant. There's a baby coming. And yet more time is passing and the people are wondering, is, he, is this child ever going to show up? Is the Messiah ever going to come? And Isaiah gives more details at 690 B.C., Chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah's uh, book. The Lord himself will give you the sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We've been waiting for so long. We've been trying. We've been hoping that this Messiah would come. Hundreds of years have gone. Months have gone by. Years, decades, centuries have gone by. And yet there is no baby. Will we ever have a child? When will the Messiah come? And it's into this setting, this expectancy and this hope of a Messiah that, that Mary is living out her life in this, this, this town of Nazareth where she's at. And Gabriel shows up one day and, and Mary, a, a probably 14, 15 year old girl is minding her own business and an angel shows up and says, greetings you highly favored one. And Mary is uh, confused and, and disturbed, which I think is two great adjectives. Uh, that would be disturbing. I think we'd be like, wow, what's going on here? And, and Gabriel shares the news that, that she is going to conceive a son, and he will be, this, he'll be called the son of God. And she's got her questions. How, is this gonna, how, how can this be? I, I'm a virgin. Uh, I've never been with a man. And, and then Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, like, just like the Holy, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the waters at creation. And did such a unique, creative work in creating our planet. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, Mary, and you will conceive a child. And he will be called a savior. And then Gabriel says um, that her aunt Elizabeth, even in her advanced years, is pregnant. She's six months into her pregnancy and uh, pregnant with John the Baptist. And, uh, and, And Gabriel goes on to say, because all things are possible with God. And Mary comes to that classic response where, where she says, let it be unto me. Which, by the way, let, the word let it be, is uh, uh, those words inspired another song written by the Beatles. When you find yourselves in time of trouble, Mother Mary comes, mother's, you know, Mother Mary's words come to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be unto me. Let it be unto me as you have said. Who do you talk to when you've had something as supernatural and mystical and unprecedented, something like that happened to you? Who do you talk to? You? Talk to? I mean, do you go to your fiancé first and talk to him? It's pretty unbelievable. I mean, do you talk to your parents? 
Mary decides to go talk to her Aunt Elizabeth because perhaps she's the one person who could understand because she's had her own little miracle. And maybe if she sort of kind of just gently sort of cracks the door and tells a story, kind of hems and haws, like maybe, maybe I'll just sort of break it in easily. Maybe, maybe Aunt Liz will understand. So she makes a journey to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house, walks on the door, says hello, gives her greeting, and Elizabeth erupts in this proclamation because in her own womb, this this dark, watery world, uh, which a, a baby that will be named John is, he leaps for joy because the mother, as Elizabeth says, the mother of our Lord has come. And she just erupts into song. Mary doesn't even get the words out about what's happened. And she has this amazing confirmation of what God is doing in her. And it's, it's so surprising. Elizabeth ends her little proclamation by saying, Blessed are you because you have believed. I think she says that because in the back of her mind, my husband couldn't quite believe, so he's mute. And, uh, but, <clears throat> but you, blessed are you. Because you have believed. And put yourself there. Something extraordinary happens to you. You don't know who you're going to talk to. You walk in the door. You go see your aunt. You can't even get the words out. And she bursts into this this proclamation about what God is doing in you. You haven't even told her yet. And she's overwhelmed. And she bursts into this song. This Magnificat. That's called Mary's song. My soul praises the Lord. My soul enlarges the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Which, by the way, is the human condition. Everyone's soul magnifies. Everyone soul enlarges something or someone if you're a worrywart you enlarge your circumstances if you're a hypochondriac you enlarge your illnesses the alcoholic enlarges the bottle or or or, yeah magnifies the bottle we all enlarge we all magnify something this young 14 or 15 year old girl she chooses to magnify the lord and think about this all this rich theology that just pours out of this teenager in this song she's so overwhelmed with what is happening to her and this is where she bursts into a song of personal revolution god's going to turn her world upside down and then she's going to speak words of revolution it'll sound like past tense but that's pretty common in, in that day speaking things in past tense because it's like it's already happened She's going to speak about her own personal revolution and about a prophetic revolution that's going to happen. That's why E. Stanley Jones would call this the most revolutionary document in the world and governments would ban it from being read out loud. My soul magnifies or praise the Lord. My, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has taken notice of his lowly servant. If you've ever felt like you're a nobody from nowhere... God takes notice. Isn't that cool? I just, I love that. If you feel like I'm a nobody from nowhere, I've, who am I? I'm a lowly servant. Actually, she uses the word slave. I'm, I'm a, the dust of the earth. God notices me. He notices you. He From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What a turnaround. 
a nobody from nowhere. Now all generations, the, the rest of world history will look back and they'll say, man, Mary is blessed. And that is indeed what has happened, right? What's the most popular name given to girls in the world? Mary. Mary, because she is so blessed. And then Mary goes on after she talks about her own world being turned upside down. She goes to, to talk about this song. She goes to sing this song about how the world is going to be turned upside down uh, by God. And uh, for the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He has shown mercy from generation to generation. And then he goes, she goes on to sing this revolutionary song. And, and scholars typically break it into three sections. The first section is in verse 51. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. It's a character revolution. The haughty ones, the proud ones, are the ones who look down their noses at other people and they say, they're less than me and I'm better. They're the, they're the stuck up and the puffed up. These snooty ones who, who think that they're, that they're better and they should be treated better. Uh, Mary says, guess what? God is going to scatter the snooty. He's going to scatter the stuffed up and the stuck up. Because he notices the lowly. It's a character revolution. Uh, And then it says in verse 52, the the second revolution, he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. Those in power, those that were were clamoring for the corner office, who were climbing the ladder, trying to to rule and control others. He is going to bring down those rulers and he's going to elevate the humble. Because here's the deal. Christianity is the death of pride. We see this in the incarnation. Philippians 2, Jesus leaves the glory of heaven and in humility takes on flesh. This this is rooted, the Christmas story is rooted in humility. St. Augustine was trying to, to help people understand God's ways. And he said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second. And humility is the third. See, the Christian song is a song of humility, of humbleness. God scattering the proud and taking those who clamor for the corner officer, trying to, to elevate themselves so they can look down on others, and he elevates the humble and scatters princes. Character revolution, social revolution, and then you have an economic revolution. You see this in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. You see, as Christ followers, we dare not own too much while others possess too little. We dare not own too much while others possess too little. That's the song of Christianity. Mary is singing the song. It's a song of revolution. Our our personal worlds are turned upside down as we, we enter into this new kingdom. This new kingdom has its own culture. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. He tried to help us understand by giving us practical examples. And Mary prophesies about it in her own song. That there's a character revolution, a social revolution, an economic resolution. And then as she finishes her song, she roots it all in the promise that Israel will be pregnant someday. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Remember Abraham who couldn't have kids. Who would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. Who he himself wondered, 
will it ever happen? Will we ever, will we ever be able to start a family? And then his nation, the nation that looks to him as a father, will we ever be pregnant? Will the child ever come? And Mary bursts out into song because we're pregnant and the Messiah will be born. John Ortberg, in his, uh, in his book called Love Beyond Reason, imagines that this song that Mary sings is not a one-time uh, event, that it's a song that perhaps that she sang uh, to her kids when they were growing up in the house, in the home. That when, when she held Jesus on her lap when he was one, you know, one, that she would sing this song over him. And that maybe when he was five or six, that Jesus would say, hey, mom, sing our song. Sing our song. Sing the song about when the angel Gabriel came and said, all things are possible. Sing our song, mom, about about how the, the, the proud are scattered. And sing our song, mom, about how God fills the hungry. Sing the song about how he elevates the humble and the princes are toppled down. And sing our song, mom. Kind of like you and I have our own Christmas song. I, I think that it could be that, that this family had their, their Christmas song as well. And could it be that when Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry and he was teaching and a man came up to him and said he wanted to follow him and, uh, and Jesus told him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and this man couldn't do it and walked away and Jesus said how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples kicking around the idea of the impossibility. And Jesus says, but wait a minute. I remember a song my mom used to sing. All things, all things are possible. When he was about to give his most infamous talk uh, called the Sermon on the Mount... Do you think maybe the song that his mom used to sing to him influenced him a bit as he got up in front of a crowd of nobodies in a nowhere place on a hillside in which he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are those of you who are hungry for righteousness. Blessed are you if you're persecuted. Was he thinking in his own heart when he got done preaching that sermon, hey mom, I just sang our song. Singing our song, mom. Singing our song. When he fed the 4,000 and then he fed the 5,000, was Jesus thinking to himself again, mama, singing our song. Filling the hungry, mom. Filling the hungry. When he got to the Garden of Gethsemane and he got on his knees and he was thinking about this cup that the Father wanted him to drink and he was struggling with the idea of doing it. Could he have remembered that part in the song where Mary said yes to the hard things? Where she said, let it be. And Jesus says to his Father, not my will but yours be done. Mom, I'm singing the song. I said yes to the hard thing. You see, the, the reality is, is that we all sing a song. 
What song are you singing? My soul magnifies the Lord. Who who are you enlarging? Are you singing the same song culture's singing? Acquire more? Climb the ladder? Achieve position? Stockpile? Or are you singing the song of the revolution? A revolution in which God notices the humble. A revolution when God elevates the humble. A revolution in which he fills the hungry because he remembers his promise. We're pregnant. We're expecting the Messiah's coming. And in this Christmas season, we too can erupt in a song and draw near and worship because God is amazing. He's impressive.